Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got a very, very special guest for you today. Pirates outfielder Corey Dickerson, an all-star in 2017, a gold glove winner in 2018. Corey's got a really interesting story, and part of the reason we wanted to bring him onto the podcast was just to discuss the path he took. You know, player development is not linear. Everyone takes different paths, and in Corey's case, he was a junior college product out of Mississippi, eighth rounder, uh, was not ranked in the BA Top 200 for his draft class, by no means a, a super-duper elite prospect. Started out the lower levels, full year in low A, and as you'll hear on the podcast, was hitting 6th and 7th in the order a lot of times and had to prove himself and worked his way up to becoming a middle-of-the-order hitter and really just kept working his way up and up and up until he became a, a key member of the Rockies, been traded to the Rays and now the Pirates again and really done a lot to outdo a lot of the initial projections and in some cases, you know, beyond just his total career, someone who was considered a quote-unquote fringe average or average at best defensive outfielder for a lot of his career. That's what his minor league scouting report said. That's what a lot of the early reviews on his defense were in the major leagues. And he outdid it and became a gold glove winner last year for the first time. So we're going to talk to Corey a little bit about everything he's been through in his career, peaks, the valleys, and, and how he's got to where he is today. Corey's calling in from Pirates Camp out in Bradenton, Florida. Corey, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. What was that like? A lot of players come out of either high school or college. As a junior college player, kind of in the middle there, just... What was that draft process like? I know it's been almost a decade, but what stood out for you long-term from that? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it was a it was an interesting process for me. Um, had uh, rotator cuff and labrum surgery when I was a junior in high school. Um, I always stood out. I was the guy that could throw the hardest. I was an infielder. I always could just naturally hit, but um, I also had a really good arm and a rotator cuff and right before the season on junior year. And I had surgery that summer and never did a throwing program. Just was worried about getting back to football. So I had surgery in July, uh, well, June 29th, and was back playing football in October. And it kind of slowed my, my uh, you know, looks by colleges and, and the draft. And um, I hit really well my senior year and – I just I had an offer from Southern Miss, uh, but I decided, you know, a couple of scouts started to come watch me, and I started thinking it's a real possibility. So I kind of took the junior college route to be able to have an option there to get drafted. Yeah, and it worked out. Your first year junior college, you went to the Rockies in the 29th round, but you made the decision to go back to school. What was the thought process there? Obviously, it worked out. The Rockies redrafted you a year later in the eighth round. What kind of went into that decision there? Um, I think just having the confidence in my talent. And, you know, it's easy for, especially a kid from 
not from, you know, a lot of money or, you know, from a small school, a uh, small town, um, to, you know, to be able to just be drafted in general and not take it um, was tough. You know, you kind of see that dream before you and you kind of want to grab a hold to it and, and, and take it. But I had some good family and, you know, coaches on my side that, you know, convinced me to stay. And um, I had a really good scout that drafted me, Damon Odnelli with the Rockies, that was really honest with me. And he, Tyler Magic signed our first rounder, and he is like, you know, we don't have any money really to offer you. So, you know, he even, you know, would say I would benefit going back to school. And so I, I risked it and, you know, to go back one more year, and I believed in myself and uh, was able to have a better year the next year. Yeah, it's impressive that level of honesty. I think a lot of times people from the outside view area scouts is they're just going to tell you what you want to hear to sign you. But, I mean, having having a scout like that who could be real with you and really look out what was best for you, I feel like public perception is that would be pretty rare. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think a lot of scouts, I mean, you work for the team, you you know, it's a business. You know, you want to get a guy for as cheap as possible and or you want to get a guy that the organization really wants um, in your system. And I think he was just – he he felt like he probably had a real good shot at me the next year also. And he was honest with me, what they thought about me, what he thought about me, ways I can get better. And, you know, I still respect him to this day. And uh, he still, he still texts me, uh, you know, any accolades that I get. And, you know, there's nothing but respect for that. Absolutely. You mentioned he felt like he had a good shot at you the next year and he did. You went out had a, an All-American campaign, uh, looking here at the numbers, 459, 21 home runs, 71 RBIs, a, a real banner season. At that point, after that season, what was the interest like? Did you have multiple teams checking in with you? Were the Rockies still the only ones on you? What was that process like once your star had raised a little bit? No, I actually flew to Philly. I uh, had a workout with Philly, and I remember the Philly scout telling me that, uh, you know, he saw me in the first three rounds. Um, you know, I really thought I was going to be higher than eighth round. I was really disappointed, you know, after, you know, like the fifth round passed. Um, you know, my numbers um, were top of, you know, top of the nation um, both years. And we played at a very competitive B1 junior college. And I felt like my throwing shoulder always hurt me. I feel like it's, I would have still had my throwing shoulder. I could have been in the first two rounds. And, you know, so the public, you know, outlook on on me, you know, just being drafted in eighth round or 29th round, you know, sometimes people portray things, you know, that's the type of player you are. You know, sometimes you're kind of, you know, the scout, Damon, you know, might know, like, you know, I'm kind of in a small town, small school. Uh, a lot of guys don't get recognized or, or seeing, especially guys that don't have the money to go out to these, you know, put themselves out there, like um, the internet. And I mean, as as prominent as it is today, with you know social media getting getting publicity that way. Um, so it was it was kind of tough. I, I had some a lot of interest, but a lot of things, you know, you you can't control the draft. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty common story a lot of players have is they think they're going somewhere in the draft and, and they end up going a few rounds later. How do you what's that process like for you in terms of when it's actually happening? You mentioned you're so, you were disappointed and how do you internalize it? Do you just shake it off? Do you use it as fuel? How does that shape shape your career if anything? I think for me I was pretty upset. I mean, remember my dad trying to, you know, comfort me during this time of like you know, everything's going to work out for a reason. Um, but also you just don't have an understanding of why, you know, you, you, you do the things on the field, you, you produce, you play. Um, but you do, like, I'm, I think I'm blessed with a, a way of looking in internally, uh, personally, and being able to evaluate myself and trying to get better. And I felt like ever since then, it was just a, you know, it does fuel your fire. Uh, depending on the type of person you are to motivate you, what motivates you. Um, but to me, it was more how can I improve? And, you know, I'm always thankful for the opportunity to be able to play this game. And so the opportunity to be drafted and be drafted twice, I felt like that, there was a purpose there. And um, to get started as quick as possible because I knew I was confident in my abilities, I was going to make it. So I really wasn't too worried about the signing bonus. You you mentioned not being worried about the signing bonus. In addition to the the hundred twenty five thousand uh, dollar dollars that you eventually signed for, you did have a, a commitment to Mississippi State that you could have taken. Was there any thought given, just given that you didn't get drafted as high as you had hoped for, in going to Mississippi State? Um, I think if I would have got drafted any later, I would have. Um, but I was kind of older for my age group too, so I also knew that you know you got to start from the bottom and work your way up. And the longer I stay in college, uh, you know, the later start I get and kind of the tight of the leash kind of is. Um, so I had a good opportunity to go to Mississippi State. And, you know, even though, you know, 125000 sounded like a, a lot of money, you know, you, you, got, you got taxes. And then, you know, if you don't make it, you know, that money – ain't going to last you too long. So I knew that from the beginning. So I just wanted to go ahead and get started and knowing that school was always, you know, always going to be there. Absolutely. The Rockies, even though you were not a high school pick, they moved you a little bit slowly to start. They sent you out to the Pioneer League, went to Casper, Wyoming uh, that first year, and they kind of kept you there. Your first uh, full year in Asheville, they kept you in low class A. They eventually started moving you quickly, but at the beginning of your career, even though you were a college guy and older, they really gave you, you know, a full run of seasons, if you will, at rookie ball, at low A ball. Was that experience frustrating at all, feeling like you deserved to be higher up, or was it good for you and ultimately benefited you long term? I think it was good for me, but the way I was, I was brought up in the system, you know, I wasn't that first round pick, so, you know, I wasn't going to be, from the beginning, the three-hole guy, the you know, the everyday a bad guy and every single level I started out as like, you know, that we were in that rotation and, you know, I was hitting sixth, seventh and then I would always by the middle to the end of the year, you know, be the third three hole hitter, two hole hitter and um playing every single day, kinda having to prove myself every single step and um I still remember going to uh triple A and we had, you know, Colvin, uh, Blackman, uh, you know, a ton of ton of guys that were actually there that there was actually no room for me. And 
uh, Glenn Allen Hill actually told the men to let me make the AAA team, and he told me that you know I would he would do his best to get my bats, and even though you know I've had great minor league seasons, I still had to prove myself. And you know, after a month in, I was able to play every single day and and hit third or hit leadoff, and you know show what I was able to do every single level and earn myself way way up to a call up in 13. Yeah, looking back at it, uh, you had a great year in Asheville, hit 32 home runs, and moved up the next year, and, and they did start to push you a little bit. Modesto, they gave you time at Tulsa. You hit for power there as well. But that Colorado Springs season, just looking back, Colorado Springs obviously is a very, very hitter-friendly park, but, I mean, 75 games, you hit 370 with 21 doubles, 14 triples, and 11 home runs. I mean, everything was just going off there for you. How did you feel like you progressed from, you know, the time you were drafted to the time you got to AAA? What, what were some of the biggest things you had to work on, and what was that process like? I think it was the, the confidence, uh, just never letting it sway. Uh, I think I had a blessed to be able to have a great hitting coach early on in Lenny Cicada um, in low A. He really, he really taught, taught me a lot. I got I had him there and in Modesto for my first call up to Tulsa, and to have him for basically a year and a half, um, he built a a really good base for me, um, and I was able to be myself. I never tried to be anybody else. Um, I was able to stick true to what I do every single day, and I think it's just the way I went to junior. The junior college I went to also uh, taught a lot about uh, confidence, swagger, and the way we carry ourselves and stuff like that. And it, I was able to carry that over into into pro ball and had a great hitting coach and uh, was able to just put things together each and every level. You mentioned that confidence and swagger, and a lot of players talk about there's a moment, whether it's a guy they faced or, or a certain series where they realize, okay, I can play at this level. I, I know I can do this. And it just builds from there. What was that moment for you? Was there a moment in, in Asheville or Modesto or Tulsa, anything where it just kind of clicked and it was like, okay, I got this? Um, well, early on, I think it was midseason in, uh, in Casper. Uh, you know, whenever I started to be able to put up some numbers, and, you know, at the beginning, I was having trouble with the wood bat, trying to find the right size and all that stuff. Um, and it's a different contact, the way the ball comes off. And um, So from the beginning, um, I felt like I always belonged. Um, I think more or less, you know, it's just that first month of every, every season of just going out there and, and, you know, letting it be a game, letting it be instinctual. Um, getting out of my whole self way. Uh, whenever I let my instincts take over, I seem to be be the best. And um, I sense to be able to do that a lot in the minor leagues. Absolutely. You make your major league debut in 2013. Uh, you show well there. 2014, grab a starting spot. Everything's looking great. 2015 comes and you get hit by plantar fasciitis. It knocks you out twice. You, you performed when you did play, but you know, 65 games plus some rehab stints really limited everything. And then after that season, you were traded. Take us through that process of going from one year, hey, I feel like I finally arrived, I've got the job, and then injury hits you, and then you're traded and you're starting anew. 
Yeah, it was tough because I, I got thunder after the last, shoot, I think the last few days of spring training um, and then started out the season hot. I think it was probably the best I've ever felt um, coming out. Finally, I couldn't play through it anymore. Uh, I felt like my heel was ripping in two. Um, I kept trying to play through it and um, putting stuff in my shoes, tape jobs, therapy, and shots. Nothing was working. Um, and then also in the middle of that year, I dove in St. Louis and broke uh, two of my ribs. Um, so I broke my ribs and had plantar fascia. And then I came back at the end of the year and I finished finished strong and uh, felt good going into the off season. And I was letting my foot rest. And I remember the Rockies invited me out during Christmas time, during the winter meetings to come work out in Scottsdale to lay their eyes on me. And, um, I don't know if the case they didn't think I was going to be healthy or not uh, led them to, because I really wasn't sprinting yet. And I didn't know if they felt like I wasn't going to be healthy coming into the next season or not. Um, but getting traded, you know, yeah, I, I've always been a guy that looked forward to what's next and what can I do to, just be the best I can be each and every day, no matter where I am. And so I was kind of excited about the opportunity also uh, to go to Tampa. Yeah, it, you know, that January of 2016, it was after the winter meetings. Spring was just around the corner. Uh, you get that phone call. Where were you when, when you got the call that you'd been traded, and what were your initial thoughts? Uh, I was actually hitting batting practice at my junior college. I was between rounds, and I checked my phone, and, I remember seeing like a text message from like Dustin Garneau, one of my former teammates, and was like, uh, "Man, this is crazy," or something like that. And and then I had a voicemail from my agent and stuff like that. And uh, I actually dropped the phone and finished hitting my couple rounds of BP, and then I called my agent after to find out that dedicated to your craft as always, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, what, what is that like for a major leaguer? Because I think a lot of times from the outside, you know, fans just see the press release, so-and-so is traded, and then they show up in that other team's uniform the next day or two days from there. But, you know, for you, all of a sudden, instead of going to spring training in Arizona and now you're going to spring training in Florida, you, you know, have a place that, you know, you stay during the season in Colorado, and now you have to find a new one in Florida, you know, two months out from the season. What's, what's that process like, and what are the first steps you kind of take after you hear something like that? Yeah, luckily I got a, a really good wife. Uh, since we, we only had one kid at the time. Um, she's able to, you know, she does stuff for our housing. And, you know, it's tough. We already had a place planned for spring in, in Arizona. So we had to, you know, find somebody to maybe take over there and then also find a place down here in Florida, which we've never been. Um, and be able to have all that lined up and ready to go. Um, but there's there's a level of excitement, a new beginning. Because, um, you know, when you're – I was with the Rockies for, you know, since 2010 coming up, and we didn't know anything anything different. All our friends uh, – it's kind of tough on my wife. She makes friends with girls on the team, uh, grows relationships, and, you know, now she's going into a new environment also. So it was really um, – you know, kind of excited, but bittersweet trying to trying to figure all the things out at one time. You make the transition to Tampa Bay in 2016, and statistically, you have your worst season. 
what sort of led to that from your perspective? And then obviously you rebounded the next year by making your first All-Star game. So what kind of was the downslope of that 2016? And then how did you bring it back up in 2017? All right. Uh, well, not too many people know about this area of my career. Um, I uh, had the plantar fascia. I had to let my, let my feet rest, my left foot rest, almost all all season. I really didn't start jogging until the middle of December and and running. Uh, I was running on the treadmill in December and like slowly working my way and I was able to do some lifts and so I gained weight. I went from like 210. I think I was I didn't even notice it but I was I think during the season of 16 I was 226 pounds and um, my conditioning and everything wasn't there but I was I think I'm blessed that I got to go there and had a great training staff in, in Tampa that really worked on my feet, um, you know, doing treatments every every day, uh, really working on my mechanics and stuff like that and got my feet right. I never hurt again. I never had plenty of fashion again. But I remember waking up in early May and having lower, lower back problems and um, really struggling to play every single day. Um, had, uh, you know, it's hard for me to bend over or do anything. I, I had to sleep on the floor, hardwood floors at night. Um, had to put my feet on the bed because I couldn't sleep. Uh, strain my lumbars. Uh, and the whole season, I grinded through that, taking medicine to be able to play. Uh, really struggled mentally uh, to be able to play with the injury that I had. And at the end of the year, I realized nobody was going to really help me. Um, so that's when I learned about my body, uh, learned about spine engine mechanics, uh, learned how to make, get my lower back healthy again. So I spent a lot of time reading books, um, analyzing myself, looking in, into the mirror, looking into myself internally, and and grew grew a ton. That all uh, I lost 25 pounds. Uh, uh, learned about the mechanics of my spine and was able to uh, put that into my, my swing, to my outfield play, um, the way I move, and transform myself completely. Um, and I felt great again. I felt better, basically felt as good as I've ever felt in my life and um, was able to put up a really good season. Absolutely. I want to go back. You hit on the mental struggles that a little bit. Um, you know, you had had a lot of success in junior college and, and high school. You'd had success pretty much every level of the minors. I mean, you had to fight for it, but but success came. This was really the first time you'd had this levels of struggles, both both injury wise as well as just performance wise. A lot of times from the outside looking in, again, fans and, and writers, we just see the end result of it and, and the struggles that may come. But during that process, I mean, what was going through your mind and how difficult was it? Uh, it was really tough because I never struggled and everybody thought I was that type of player and I was coming from Coors Field and that that was typical and all these things. But they didn't look at my whole past. I've always done well. Um, and also playing through something and not going on the DL and not telling the media and not letting any of that stuff leak out and all. I felt like I grew tremendously that season. 
mentally also, even though it was mentally draining each and every day to be able to make it through BP and to make it, you know, through the game. Um, I grew that, you know, even with what was I had going on, I was still able to produce and put up numbers and to be available for not only for myself but for my teammates um, to go out there and with an injury and and still grind it out and, and perform. And, you know, I feel like uh, that's the only reason my numbers wasn't a little bit higher is because at, at the beginning I was changing a lot and I was kind of like a dog chasing his tail. When something was going wrong, I'd try to fix it. And if that didn't work, I'd try to something else. And I continually – uh, got in myself's way um, and was too looking at mechanics too much. And then with the injury stuff going on, I'm just kind of in a, in a mental warfare kind of. And finally, when that season ended, it was the biggest, you know, kind of relief. But also there was this unknown of how can I get myself back to where I need to be and, and better. And that's what I focus on and, and was kind of relentlessly pursuing. Yeah, you mentioned really throwing yourself into, you know, just studying about the human body and everything involving your back and, and taking it upon yourself to do that. Is that something that you, you felt like was necessary to continue your career at the level you wanted it to be? And, and how much of it did you, you know, work with the training staff to get there versus just, you know, you kind of took care of it yourself? Yeah, I took it all upon myself. No training staff, nobody. Uh, well, my trainers back home. Um, I started reading books, uh, the Supple Leopard book, uh, Tom Brady's book, uh, some other books about routines and stuff like that. But I really learned about myself and how the body's supposed to move. And, and I don't know, I've always been very... Um, goal-oriented, but also very driven to work hard. Um, and I was, baseball has kind of always been my passion, and I never wanted to play this game hurt or play this game where I'm not the player I'm always improving. Like, if I'm not improving, I don't want to, you know, continue to really play the game. I want to always be better than I was the year before. So that's my mindset was to come back better than I ever was. It wasn't if I was going to get healthy again. It was figure this out and how am I going to get to that next level because there's always a next level and I was dedicated to find it. I would say you hit it considering that very next season you made your first all-star game. That's definitely next level uh, when you were there in Miami, just you know, looking out across the locker room and, and being on the field and just seeing the guys you were surrounded by, what was that like? Just knowing the path you took, you know, eighth round junior college guy, you know, having to fight to get into the middle of the order and A ball, all the injuries suffered the year before. What was it like for you just being chosen for that game? Uh, it was amazing. It was really, uh, I think me and my wife really took it in and and enjoyed every single moment of it. I think we, you know, it was like a sigh of relief, kind of like all your work, hard work paid off. Um, but 
like I said before, like trophies and and you know things like that. They all they all kind of are meaningless, you know, whenever they you know they collect dust. But having the recognition is is very rewarding. Um, something you can't ever take away. So to have that recognition of being an all star, being you know doing the right thing each and every day to be able to uh, be considered and, and, and even, you know, voted in by the fans was amazing. Um, just because it's, it's a respect thing for all the hard work all season, you know, during the season, the mental grind, the physical grind to be rewarded with that was, was amazing to me and my family. After that season, the Rays, in a very surprising move, designated you for assignment to facilitate a trade, which happened. You went to Pittsburgh. Throughout your career, you know, looking back at your old scouting reports that we have coming out of the draft, and even when B.A. ranked you as one of the top prospects in the Rockies organization, it was always about you could hit, you could hit, you could hit. Your defense was average at best. Obviously, you mentioned your arm had been giving you trouble since your surgery, your junior year of high school. You know, some of the advanced metrics that teams like to use to measure defense reflected that. And then last season happens and you come out and you're one of the best defensive left fielders in all of baseball. Eye test, metrics test, it's pretty clear. You win a gold glove. How did you transform yourself from someone who was seen as an average-ish left fielder at best to a gold glove elite defender? Well, I started to, you know, after the 2016 season, going through that stuff on my back and everything, you know, and I turned myself into this, you know, better player physically. Um, I've, I learned that I can take it, I can become anything or anybody can become anything they want to be when they're so focused on like those small details of a goal and you're so like you're looking to the finest things to improve and I did that again. I just I I wasn't satisfied with being part time DH um, and it really helped me grow Neander, um, the GM with the Rays before right after All Star break he sent me a text and said, with my outfield play to start, like, play every day in left field, that's why we going out to get Lucas Duda, and that meant the world to me, and kind of grew my confidence even more, and also playing next to Kiermaier, the way he practices, the way he plays, um, instinctually, and how well he shags and works, and I kind of grew from that, learning stuff from him, being able to throw him around. And I took it into the all season, really improving my footwork, um, but also as mentally confidence, won the ball, and the opportunity. I never got an opportunity besides 2014 of playing in the outfield regularly. 15, I was hurt. 16, I was hurt mostly only DHing. 17, DHing. Um, so I haven't really got the opportunity. So when I came over to Pittsburgh, Clinton Neal said, "This is your spot." you're not going to be double switched. And that really uh, flipped the switch for me. And when I went out there, I even, you know, for the first time, double switched for somebody else. I went out and replaced somebody else. And Clint came into me after the game was like, has that ever happened before? And I was like, no. He was like, uh, good, because this is your job. You know, and just that confidence instillment that they put in me, um, allow me to go out there 
and KB, our outfield coach, always we we motivated each other. He motivated me to continue on the same track, uh, what I was doing, what I was working on. And I'm a firm believer, you know, you can be anything you want to be. Um, so I just had this vision, and I, I went out and, and, and grabbed it. You know, one of the things that I'm taking away from our conversation is you're, you're talking a lot about the interpersonal relationships and people believing in you from Len Sakata all the way back at the start of your career to Eric Neander letting you know that, that they felt comfortable with you in left field to Clint Hurdle in, in Pittsburgh, you know, giving you that spot and saying, this is yours, no one's going to take it from you. In today's game, there's a lot of focus on the data and, and the more analytical aspects of it, but... And I think players have talked about this a lot, too, that, yes, the data can help, it's important, but having those interpersonal relationships, knowing someone believes in you, some of those base human things, still make you a better player. Is that something you feel like you've experienced a lot? And how do you kind of balance that, okay, yes, this level of data can help me, but also I need that human component from management? Yeah, it's huge because um, I think I'm very adaptable in my hitting, hitting ways, the way I can my two-strike approaches, my my regular swing, the way I adjust myself, um, the way I transform myself defensively, um, them being able to communicate with with the player and instilling what they want, their goals, and also your goals. But also I've learned from going through pain and, and other stuff like that that there's more important things to the game than just the people. Uh, the people you're with, the people you play with, the coaching staff, we're all people and we try to, you know, be a good person first and the players second. I've always been a big um, believer in, like, sharpening the other person. Um, and, you know, whenever you, I go to the field, my main goal is to, um, in, you know, make sure I speak to the training staff and speak to the, you know, the, the chefs, you know, have a good attitude. And, you know, if they they have a good attitude and it, it ups their game, then it's going to help everything else. We kind of like, you know, we feed off one another. And that's kind of how I go about my life each and every day. You know, just looking at your total journey from, you know, junior college all the way to where you are now, an all-star with a gold glove in your collection, Looking back on your player development path from you know every level, what would you say are the biggest things that that shaped you and, and made you the player you are, and that you would advise for for other players coming up that route? Um, I think I think the work ethic of of you know when you go out there to practice or you go out there to shag um, to be great in that moment. Uh, if you're going to go out there, there's no reason just to be good or you know. When you do, we only have 20 minutes to work on these outfield drills. Um, don't do them at all unless you're going to try to perfect them. And that's what I try to do is perfect the fundamentals. Um, I'm a big fundamental guy. Um, every single little thing I try to, in my control, I try to control it 100%. And um, no matter how small it is, you know, routine ground balls, I try to make them look perfect. I try to uh, be fundamental mentally sound and love doing them if you love doing the fundamentals um that's how the great the great players become even better and are consistent absolutely all right well uh cory uh thank you so so much for joining us and, and congrats on all the success in your career and uh we look forward to seeing what's in store in 2019 for you yeah thanks guys thanks for having me i enjoyed it
Well, there you have it. Pirates outfielder Corey Dickerson kind enough to join us and just take us through the process of going from an eighth rounder from a junior college to an all-star and gold glove winning outfielder in the major leagues. And uh, we wish Corey all the best of success this year. And it's uh, been cool to watch his development just from everything from uh, coming from the small school, having to prove himself in the minors and, and reach the levels he's at. Uh, this has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Feel free to give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. You can also reach me at Kyle A. Glazer on Twitter. That's at Kyle A. Glazer. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next week. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.